welcome to Not Your Token Minority, a podcast exploring and celebrating the stories of the global majority. This week, we have a conversation with my friend Yukari, who I met when I was living in Japan. We have always had really meaningful conversations, so of course this episode is no different. We talk all about her journey in building a bridge between Eastern and Western cultures, her experience living in Australia, and what it means to be a Japanese woman with Western ideals living in Japanese society. Thank you so much for joining me, Yukari. How has your day been? Good, thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Tao. This, it's an honour to be on this platform, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, my day has been good. It's sunny day. The cherry blossoms started to bloom. Oh, I'm so um, jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had an awful rain a couple of days ago, so we were worried about that, but it's, it's going well. Spring is coming, feeling good. Yeah, I am so jealous, firstly, because it's coming to winter here, but also because... I don't know, like I, because I left Japan around this time last year, and I never mm. got to experience my last Hanami season, so oh. that was super gutting. But hopefully one yeah. day, yeah, yeah, one day. I mean, once the COVID is over, I mean, I haven't experienced Hanami experience last year, obviously, and probably unlikely this year. Majority of parks are closed for that reason. It's a sad day for us, but it's grateful trees and like cherry blossoms yeah and just parks in general that are inundated with all these people sitting on the grass and underneath the trees exactly so obviously you're based in japan and so we both met when we went to like a random running event which is super funny for anyone who knows me because anyone who truly knows me knows i really hate running so it's really funny (laughs) that we met through a running event join the club yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly and i have to say that you always struck me as someone who is very western and You did spend some time in Australia, but you've actually always had a connection with the world outside of Japan through your fascination with the English language, right? Correct. Yes. So, yeah, can you talk a bit about your background, how you grew up, and where this interest in English came from? Of course. Thank you, Tao. And and I just have to say that, you know, the running event, this random running event, and meeting you was the greatest, you know, greatest outcome of that. The two sessions that I went and I stopped going... (laughs) Um, because oh, I didn't see so you afterwards. Um, so yeah, I'm so glad that I went to that session and, you know, get to know you. So my background, so I'm born and raised in Japan. I currently reside in Tokyo. I think my fascination with the language or culture always there. I think my, my parents used to listen to Screams or Diana Loss or Carpenters or even like let me listen to Disney's tape. At the, at the time, it was like cassette tape, right? Not the CD even. It was like that. 90s. I think I grew up watching a lot of um, Disney movies in English, according to my mom, because all the Japanese version were rented. <laughs> so she, anyway, so I I think it turns out well. So the interest was I think was there, but really started to develop that the curiosity and obsession I would say to master this language as much as I can was like when I started to study English at the age of thirteen, which is the age that everyone study English here, probably younger now. And then went to high school, which I went to the public school but then offered international class so we we have a high school which is a three years 
and the first year we have to do like all subjects, but from the second year onwards, we intensify the language, the, especially English language learning. That really was a foundation for me to develop my language skill. And then during the hotel school, I had a, a internship program um, and I chose Canberra in Australia for three months. Me and my roommate was probably only Asian or <laughs> maybe only Japanese then. I chose Canberra for a specific reason, thinking that there's there's not many Japanese people compared to, say, Sydney or Gold Coast, so that I had to really focus on my learning. Coming back to Japan after that, I then started working for at the international membership club. And at the time I was working there, we had over 55 nationalities of members and staff. And then my sort of inner fire uh, going back to Australia was there, always there. So I, I left the job I loved dearly and then took off and I, I went to Australia, Melbourne this time, and spent almost five years there. Tell me more about your time in Australia, so both times in Australia. Do you remember what it was like for you the first time around? Did you love it there? And what did you think of the culture and society? Well, the funny thing is, uh, when I went to Canberra for the first time, my English wasn't as fluent. I have to say, most of the English learning here in Japan is American English. So you learn, you know, how to speak like American. So when I went to Canberra, and sitting with the, I remember distinctly that sitting with the human resources manager and she came and then, you know, I think she offered water at the time. And then she said, water. I'm like, I, I don't know if I understand. Because <laughs> <laughs> what were you used to hearing? Like water. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that was a yeah, terrible American so. accent. <laughs> but you know what no, I mean. No, you did well. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Yeah. So, I mean, people were welcoming, right? And I have to say the, the time, it was uh, 2001, I think, um, I was there for three months and people were very nice to me. And at the time I was 18 years old as well. So I was, you know, naive and curious at the same time. It was a small town then in Canberra, central Canberra. So sort of people know each other uh, quite quickly. Um, but when I'm walking on the street, you know, some random guys or some random people just say stuff like Toyota or Kawasaki or whatever the Japanese the phrase they, they knew at me. But at the time, right, I didn't really take that as offensive or anything. More you know, I, I learned that many people in Australia studied Japanese um, when they uh, in high school, junior high or something. So I thought it was more coming from the, the curiosity or interest. For the three months, I don't think I experienced um, anything negative as far as I can remember. Uh, that's a slightly different experience that I spent for fi almost five years in Melbourne. That's a different one. Yeah. First of all, because you, you came from Japan, which is quite a homogenous society and obviously, yes. you know, part of Asia. Like, did you expect to receive any sort of racism when you moved to Australia? To be honest, no. I, th I think, again, like I was 18 years old and I was naive to or not knowing much at the time. I think I was aware that I was Japanese and foreigner coming into, going into a new country. So I was more humble and, you know, willing to learn and sort of observe everything that I ha had to uh, learn. That was the attitude then. 
so I knew I was sort of like um outsider. I mean, I knew going in, I was outsider. Sure. Okay. At the time. Yeah. yeah. So what kind of things changed or what, or how were the experiences when you went back to Australia for the second time? I have to say majority of my, largely my experience in, in Melbourne, whether that's Melbourne or Sydney or whenever I went in Australia was positive and I met wonderful people there. So I don't sort of want to illustrate my whole experience as negative, but I did come across some, you know, if you think about it now, right. But just at the time I was, I think I was either dismissing it or I was just taking it as is, or I think even myself, I think I made it as a joke or made fun of it myself or something like that, just to try to fit in. I'm aware that the position I'm in, and for example, you or uh, Asian American or Asian Australia and New Zealand, that's a very different thing. I, I am Japanese and coming from Japan to a different country. So again, with that mindset, right, like coming as an outsider, I sort of almost accepted that I'm a, a foreigner and like immigrant, right? It's not like I deserve it, but it's in the back of my mind, it's like, yeah, can't be bothered because it's it's what it is because I'm immigrant, immigrant and I'm an outsider. Again, largely my experience are positive there, but some of the things I've been told, especially when I hang out with other Asians, we were being told, like, go back to where you come from, you know, or they just ask me, like, you know, where are you from? Followed by you speak very good English, which to me, I mean, I learned to learn the language. So it's supposed to be a compliment. But after a while, you know, after living there for a while and be part of the community, it started to sort of discomfort me I guess at the time I was I, I intended to stay there for a really long time more than five years so part of me always was reminded that I was outsider I would never been seen as Australian <laughs> I mean I wasn't so it's it's something like maybe it's the wrong thing to ask but at the same time that sort of discomfort was always there I laugh now, but worst case was that that I was standing at the bus stop waiting for my bus and this guy, the white guy in the car stopped at the traffic light in front of me, rolled down the window and asked how much. So that was, that was was like a very shocking (laughs) experience that I didn't even think, like I, I didn't know what to think. And by the time I was like, thinking about what to say he left because the you know traffic light changes um that's often the case yeah. right like like <laughs> stuff like that happens and when you're in the situation you're just so shocked and then yeah. by the time you think of how to react then it's already too late it's yeah. so frustrating <laughs> it is um like if, if that happened to me now I, I don't I still don't know what to say to that you know there's a lot of things you can say but at the same time like is there a point I mean obviously he is living in a different world and he's living in a different cognitive stage so like what's the point it's <laughs> very nice <laughs> um, of you a different cognitive state <laughs> isn't it true though a racist um, misogynist yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly so and other than that, you know, I had a good, good group of friends and I didn't really get together with Japanese people until the 3-11, the tsunami and, and the disaster happening in Japan at the time I was in Melbourne. Until then, because I left Japan with sort of like a determination of not to come back anytime soon. For that reason, I didn't choose to hang out with Japanese people until that event happened. and. 
I organized the, the charity event to help funding that the fans for, for, for the, the release and the community together. Uh, the Age, which is a newspaper, got involved and like it, it became quite huge events and we were very grateful. So overall, I think being Japanese, I got more positive comments. Regardless of that, that the charity event, there were Australian people were genuinely interested in our culture, our food and things like that. But at the same time, like, I don't, I don't want to have to explain all the time, like, what's kimono, what's sushi, and like, I don't eat sushi every day. And so, yeah, in a way, you're like representative, but at the same time, can we just go on our day, just being the global citizen? Yeah, I guess when they don't know, for example, that many Japanese people and all they think about are these like stereotypical things like geisha and like sushi and all that sort of stuff, um, I guess that's just what they resort to when they actually meet a real life Japanese person and they can ask them all these questions. Um, But actually, I wanted to ask you, how did 311 affect you personally? Well, I the, the feeling I felt at the time was helpless, right? Like because I was in in Melbourne at the time, I was working at the Melbourne University, University of Melbourne, and uh, working with the students from Japan. We were sort of having the farewell ceremony for the students going back to Japan. Majority of them are from uh, Kansai area, which is the southern part of Japan. So the three eleven didn't really affect them, thankfully. So I was busy preparing for the event. I didn't know until a lot of um, host family members uh, started to contact me and said, like, you know, if the students need to stay longer, they can. I saw the news and this and that. Uh, immediately, I checked the news. I was shocked and then tried to call my family back home. The phones disconnected. Uh, I think the just the amount of chaos was happening at the time that none of the phone line was working properly so got me worried very much and the news that we were exposed in Melbourne I think was more dramatic than what the Japanese people were seeing in Japan you know I was asking my parents and how they are and whether they can evacuate they weren't affected by the earthquake or tsunami itself but I was more worried about the radiation coming after that there's a sort of disconnect of what they can do and what they, uh, what, uh, what I want them to do. And based on the news that we are hearing at the time, like, you know, many Japanese who were in Melbourne that I knew, they're affected. And some of them lost their families, members or house or something like that. Do you feel like it brought you closer with your Japanese community? Yes, definitely. You know, like I left Japan, I was 26 and went there. A little bit of rebellious in me and also like, you know, I left Japan for for reasons, so I'm not going to hang out with Japanese people, that kind of attitude. But then learned that many Japanese who are there, whether they're studying or working or living for as a, as a permanent resident, they all sort of go through the similar experience, right, being foreigner in, in different countries. So we had things to share and be compassionate about and learn from each other so it was really nice to yeah made a friends like Japanese friends there nice so after five years you decided to go back to Japan how was that transition for you oh my god 
Oh my God, that was something. <laughs> that was really something. I mean, okay. I was aware of the the reverse culture. Mm. Have you heard of the reverse? You, you, yes. You've been through, right? I think. Yeah, but I, I, I'd heard of it so much from other people around me who have also done that transition back to their home. And so I was kind of preparing myself for it mentally, but okay. even so, it was still difficult. And I can only imagine going from a place like Australia back to a place like Japan. <laughs> exactly. So coming back to Japan, I think I think I had more appreciation towards the system and the cleanliness. I mean, Australia is, is clean too, but so I had a obviously disconnect and sort of missing Australia, part of me missing Australia, part of me appreciating the beauty of Japan and what Japan has to offer. Obviously, great to reconnect with my family. But I guess the culturally, the shock was that when I arrived at the Narita airport, uh, which is a, one of the international airports in, in Japan, men doesn't help you or doesn't <laughs> offer to help you with a suitcase. I mean, I don't need it, right? But then they just come in front of you and they just, it doesn't push you necessarily, but like they come in front of you, doesn't even hold the door. And so that was kind of like a, a shocking to me. Like in Australia, everyone in Melbourne, at least everyone was so nice with each other, like open. Even at the traffic light, if you're standing next to each other, strangers started to talk, you know, chat just to say hi and stuff. It was not the case uh, back home. So I kind of felt colder <laughs> for some reason. I definitely feel like the vibe in Tokyo uh, amongst people is quite cold. Like everybody is kind of like a stranger to each other and you just kind of stay in your own little bubble and you don't really talk to anybody else who you don't know. Right, right. I don't know if it's a big city thing or a Tokyo thing, but yeah, I, I feel that too. I mean, once you get used to it, now you're becoming not a cold one, but like you're becoming the one that is sort of like why are you talking to me the random stranger at the traffic light um which is weird yeah you kind of adopt similar behaviors to try and fit in so it was a bit of a culture shock for you reverse culture shock yes yes totally and then within a month or so I started a job it was a wine company imported company and the CEO is from New Zealand originally yeah and we used to work together cool so he asked me to come and sort of internationalize the place a little bit but that was also the culture shock too working for 20 25 people of the office and uh, majority of them are very domestic thinker a traditional Japanese thinker and I, I don't know if your listener or audience will understand when I say traditional Japanese thinker you can help me with this the mindset I think is is less uh less open I would say they excel at their own thing and deliver excellence but when it comes to creative thinking or adaptability or that it's sort of lacking yeah so I think in general Japanese thinking is very like rule based and structured there's not a lot of sort of thinking outside the box yeah right so I mean I don't want to generalize it too much because I think it's slowly changing but majority uh, of us are sort of educated that way too like educated to be uniformed not be different from someone else and do not speak up so working for that company a year and a half dealing with 
very Japanese mindset was uh, quite challenging for me, especially coming back from Australia. Distinctly, I think two things are quite challenging at the time was that I was labeled as very different. I was westernized. I've been told like I'm an alien or I'm very different and unique or whatever. Now I take that as a compliment. I'm I'm very comfortable with that. But uh, back then I wasn't really. Yeah. And I think to give context to people who don't understand that about Japanese society, like it's so important to think of the whole like to think of the group rather than the individual whereas and I feel like in a lot of western societies it's the individual mindset oh yeah um and so when you are labeled as different or thinking differently or acting differently in Japan it can it can be quite a significant impact on people that's right yeah, thanks for, for that clarification. That's that's very true. We are group mentality, you know, which helps sometimes. But in this, in my case, was sort of tough to adjust because I accustomed to like being independent and individuality uh, the last five years and coming back to Japan and thinking labeled as different and like too outspoken or for female or, you know, a female Japanese female, I guess. It was sort of difficult to to identify where I, I'm at, um, where I was at at the time. And then the very Jap- Japanese male colleague <laughs> got super mad to the point he was yelling at me on something that I pointed out because he wasn't, he didn't like the fact that I pointed out. It was super simple stuff, like on something on Excel sheet or Word or something. I wasn't even accusing him of like, yeah, you made an error or anything. I was just pointing out the fact that it was wrong or something. And uh, he got super mad and he started to yell. A couple of days later, he apologized to me, but it was shocking because um, I'd never been on the receiving end of that. Yeah. And then after that, I'm like, you know, I, I really wanted to work for a global company. That's where I think I find my ally, my my people. Um, so, uh, yeah, I started to look for a global company. And here I am. I work for an American company now. How was that journey for you going from feeling really affected by being considered an outsider to where you are now? Because I feel like you don't really care now about that. Like you're very confident and secure in your own identity as like a westernized Japanese woman in a Japanese society. It took me a while. I was always, just so you know, I was always outspoken since youth. So I was always like that growing up and seeing my mom uh, working hard and, you know, she was always independent. She showed me the value of working. So I was always inspired by that independence. And I wasn't really afraid of speaking up. Even high school, I was told by one of the teachers that I raised the point that I I didn't agree or something uh, to what he was saying. And I said to him, like, you know, I don't, I don't. I don't agree with that or something like that. Then he told me, you're not going to survive in Japanese society. You're not going to thrive in Japanese society. To that, I said, that's okay. I intend to go global and I intend to <laughs> be international person. I always didn't think that Japan was for me at long term. The, the identity Japanese wasn't, wasn't really describing uh, how I felt inside, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Now where I'm at is like the group of people like me, especially in the 
professional world only consists of like 3.5% or around that. So what I meant was like bilingual or trilingual, uh, bicultural, global-minded, coming back from all overseas, and they're professional. We only consist of 3.5%, uh, according to the recruiter that I used to work with. So to know that we are sort of labeled as unicorn in the job market, which is an advantage for us. But at the same time, I have a slight fear for Japan, right? Because if the Japanese companies and Japanese people uh, continue to sort of push us aside, then all those global talents are willing to go overseas for a better job, for a better pay, whatever. And then, and those global-minded people, like traditional Japanese company, don't know how to utilize us. They just see us Japanese people speaking English or Chinese or whatever the language they require. They still expect us to behave and think and, and yeah, think and behave like a Japanese person. And on top of that, there's a gender. So if I'm a Japanese woman in a certain situation, I might expect it to be quiet, know your place. So sometimes there's a, there's a discrepancy between Japanese me and global me. I started to understand where to use which one in, in a work space or a private space or whatever. So once you sort of understand how to use your asset and how to be kind of put that aside, you know, you're, you're more comfortable even living in Japan. Do you feel like you have two different identities then? I think it's, it's sort of merging as one now, but used to think, yes, I think to, to certain degrees, feel the same like when you, you speak uh, at least two languages, right? Mm. My understanding. Mm. Yeah. So when you, like, for example, I, when I speak Japanese and when I speak English, I feel like my character is slightly different. I think it's it's affected by the language itself. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that about Japanese. Like, obviously, I didn't speak Japanese to any level of fluency, but yeah. I have noticed it in other people, like foreigners who do speak Japanese quite well. Even the tone of their voice shifts. Like, I swear, like, your voice goes higher when you speak Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know where that comes from, though. I don't try to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not you specifically, but just generally. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. in general. Yeah, but like for me, um, I guess because I grew up in New Zealand from such a young age, even when I speak Mandarin, it's very kind of westernized. Even like I, people tell me that I speak with an accent, and like I kind of adopt similar mannerisms that I say in English, but just translate it into Mandarin. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know what what is it like for you. Yeah, so as I said, I think growing up and learning English and I was obsessed. So I was watching a lot of TV shows like your friends or, you know, now Modern Families and whatever the, the TV show that you can learn the current language, I guess. Late 20s into early 30s, and I think it was more divided into two. I was sort of juggling two different identity almost. But now it's sort of merging into one. Whatever I do, I think people sees me non-traditional Japanese this is my uniqueness (laughs) this is my identity and this is how who I am and I'm at the stage where I have connections and uh, realizations and I guess a confidence in certain way to lead the next generation and show the next generation how they can be they can be different they can be unique and you know they should be outspoken if they wanted to and like I think once I started having 
like understanding my mission as who I am and how I became, the confidence came along, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it really doesn't bother you then. You know, the whole thing in Japan is like women have to be married before they're a certain age and have mm-hmm. kids and get married. Uh, yeah, have kids and kind of just be a housewife and stuff. Like, yeah. So did you ever feel the pressure to also do that? I think I did, right? At some stage, I think um, around 27, 28, 29, 30, people started to get pressured or peer pressured or even like magazines or TV shows and everything sort of pressures into you thinking that you need to get married and have a kids and all. I think luckily though, I was in Melbourne at the time. So I didn't really have to deal that with that direct pressure. My parents are very understanding. My mom and my stepfather, they're very understanding. They never really pressured me. They joke about it, right? But they never really seriously pressure me into it. But on that romance side I think it's it it is difficult for me to because of of who I am and I don't really get along or yeah get along with Japanese traditional Japanese guys who tend to sort of put you into certain box again it's not all of them but those that I met so far or come across and they sort of wanted to put you in certain box and or that I feel that way. I feel like I've been caged, regardless of what they're doing, what they're saying. In my mind, that's how they are. That fixation fixes me. I, I seek partnership in in relationships, so uh, it's easier for me to get along with westernized person or like westerners that I feel like I can be more myself. So for that, I think it's really difficult for someone like me to find a suitable partner in Japan. Is that like important to you or not so much? I don't know if it's important or not. I'm happy with myself right now, but it will be more fruitful, right? Like if you have a partner to share your life with and build something together, uh, those are the things I think it's going to benefit me, teach me something. Also, you know, hopefully make me happier. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, of course. So how do you see like the future of Japan or Japanese society and like women's place in Japanese society going in the future? Right. I was thinking about that because um, it's such a good question. You know, Japan is its island. And as you said earlier, it's a homogeneous country. So the things tend to stay here and, and happens and goes in Japan. Even though it's all digitally connected with, with, you know, globally, we are now, the the things are Japanese, or Japan itself is this sort of quite unique place. And we call that it's an island mentality. The great example, I think, is uh, like black, something like a Black Lives Matter or currently Stop Asian Hate. Those movements and activities, even conversations often publicized in English media, but not so much in Japanese media. So majority of Japanese people, although they study Japanese, uh, sorry, English, they may not comfortable speaking English or they don't know how to. So they don't read it, right? Overall, they are not aware of what's happening globally. So that's a sort of frustration that I share with my international-minded friends, that they're not aware. My hope 
And hopefully I can lead by example though, but my hope for them, the next generation is to be more aware and be curious and be educated on you know, what's happening, not only in Japan, but like globally, like know your rights and know that you can want something that you don't currently have. Because if you don't know the things are available, you don't even know if you want it. So knowing is the first and, and that's something that I, like, I don't know what I can do to, encourage people to do that because you know you gotta want to know yourself it, it, it comes from you it's initiative but um just being who i am and hopefully i can be some sort of role model type of person or like someone to inspire the learning or increase their awareness in general yeah i don't know how <laughs> yeah no i think it does really really help to have those role models like yourself especially for those younger generations because if you can't see those role models then you don't necessarily know that you can be them I also think that younger generations in general all over the world like they are just so much more aware of things like social issues political issues um, because they've grown up in such a volatile environment you're right like I think a younger generation even here they're more aware and connected they may not necessarily raise voice so that's something that needs to change it's not I know it's not our culture to necessarily speak up always but you know if you know your worth or if you know what you want you gotta ask for it that's at the workplace or like anywhere in in daily life we all have a responsibility to sort of change and be educated ourselves but also media needs to change that a lot here too it's kind of off topic here but i think majority of japanese people when they think of westerners or foreigners in general they think of Americans (laughs) or they think of uh, white people because the white people has been hugely uh, romanticized and characterized as a superior that there's something that we should want or admire in Japan. I believe that idea is imprinted us for a long time. Seeing the magazine on Instagram talking about hair and makeup trends, for example, when they label the ideal style as as gaijinfu, which little translation is foreigner-like, but what it actually means is that Western and white-like. And the foreigners are hired to appear in ads or magazines or TVs are mostly white, right? So I'm not saying that we should all dislike and white people, it's not that, but it needs to be more diverse and it needs, it needs to be more inclusive. We need to have more representation in ourselves to have a holistic view of the world yeah it's really interesting you bring that up because even in countries where like 90 something percent of the people are the same ethnic background like japan white beauty standards and white standards overall are still put up on a pedestal i think i was very lucky to have opportunities that i had and be in the surroundings that i was in but not everyone has the same privilege or the curiosity that I had. I, I, I get it why the things are where, how they are here in Japan, but hopefully the media will, you know, themselves be curious and like learn and adapt to the what's happening in the world so that the Japanese people will be more aware too and learn, be curious. I hope so too. 
But I have watched Japanese TV, and I don't know if I have high hopes that that will happen <laughs> <No> . anytime soon. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, like Japanese television is either eating or like chasing around like wild animals.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Or like silly comedy. So, yeah. yeah, me too. Like, I don't really have a, that huge hope. We're living in our own bubble, right? So, like, I like is watching Netflix a lot because they, you know, they obviously introduce a lot of、uh, documentaries and series and all. But when you look at the, the Netflix, what's trending in Japan, the top 10, for example, are all animation. <laughs> I get that you can learn a lot、yeah. from animation. I'm、yeah. not personally a huge fan of it. And I get that Japan produces a lot of great animation or manga, right? But Like, come on, people, let's be educated ourselves, right? <laughs> like, can we, you know, can we get on more like educational content? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, can we learn more about, you know, international economy or like histories? Or I, I get that that's entertainment. You don't have to seek of education every, from out, every outlet, but we could use more of that. Like, when I saw. When I saw what's trending on Netflix, like top 10, I'm like, oh my God, this is the future of Japan. Like, that's not promising.、Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can always have hope. <laughs> yeah, we can always hope. And also, like, you know, what you're doing with this platform is great. And I personally found a lot of content that are relatable, some of the elements from your friends or the list, you know, the guest stories. I, I found it. Relatable, and there are not many platforms or conversations I felt relatable and like nodding a lot. So, what you're doing is is already contributing to the next generation. So, you know, you inspire me. Hopefully,、oh, I can do、so、something、nice. great. Yes, to <laughs> yeah, lead, lead by example. You are <laughs> doing great stuff just by like, thank you, you know, standing strong and. Your own self and like being strong in your own identity and knowing yourself. Thanks. Do you think you will ever live overseas again?、Oh, well, yeah, that's a good question.、Um, yes, possibly. I, I mean, I'm always open to it. If I ever had a, have children, I would love them to live and study in more diverse and creative environments. Which、uh, current Japanese education system kind of offer limited limits to. For, for my own sake, I don't know. I mean, Japan is pretty safe, it's clean, the food's great. You know, I have family, I have friends, I have a job, more job opportunity here, obviously, being bilingual and all. But if there's an opportunity for me to try again in you know, overseas, yeah, definitely, I'm keen. Any particular countries that you would want to live in? Okay, so this is not me um, <laughs> um, trying to like, kiss ass your country, but like, I really love to live in New Zealand. I'm not sure, again, coming from outside, how welcoming the environment will be, but personally, I only went, went to Queenstown, but I love the experience. Whenever I meet people from New Zealand in Australia or in here, whenever, I find them lovely and super nice people. Yeah, I mean, New Zealand will be great. Yeah, like <laughs> if you ever do move down here, honestly, like in general, I think that New Zealanders are very welcoming towards migrants.、Mm-hmm. But of course, there are people who、yeah. 
say and do things. That's everywhere. And, yeah, yeah, it's everywhere. But in general, it's such a beautiful place and every country has its issues. <laughs> yeah, like on that front, I think I need to, to talk, touch base on that a little bit. Like I don't want to freak foreigners coming to Japan, but I, I hear that there's a sort of, uh, maybe you can you can talk about this, but discrimination or the I guess the racism or fear towards foreigners in Japan. And that's something I I care about. That's something that I wanted to do something about also. The the racism is not just towards Asian. It's racism is racism and racism like hate is hate. Here I I would like to think it's not so much of the racism, but more coming from the ignorance. I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing. <laughs> um, the fear towards unknown, the fear towards, you know, again, different to you, being different to you. So whether that by the look or the language or whatever, on the street, they don't openly discriminate anyone here. But it's just I hear that, the yeah, behind your back or that they don't feel like uh, they're part of Japan Japan community. Uh, even though if they speak perfect Japanese, if they look white, for example, they will always be forever treated as foreigner or outsider. And yeah, so that's, I think, an issue itself within like homogeneous country like Japan. But looking ahead, we're not going to have a lot of young kids or youth in general. Uh, currently, like one in four people are over 65 the reality is that we are going to have to open our country to immigrants. We need to be more diverse, uh, inclusive. But, and also, like when, when the travel becomes available again after COVID, the Japanese people need to be aware of what's happening in the world currently. Yeah, I actually was thinking that as well. Like, I know that we've brought up maybe some points that maybe listeners might think are kind of negative parts about Japan. Mm -hmm. But like I said before, you know, every country has its issues. And just talking from my own experience, like living there for three years was amazing. Like, I couldn't have asked for a better overseas live and work experience than what I had in Japan and honestly it's if you live in a big city like Tokyo it's so easy to live there and you get I don't know this can be taken as like a good or bad thing but you you become very comfortable there like because life is very easy everything's so convenient and as you said everything's so clean and the food is good and it's and safe yeah and it's so safe like especially as like a woman I have never ever felt safer at night walking by myself yeah than I have in yeah. Tokyo so like I don't want to put anyone off Japan like I love Japan no exactly but, <laughs> yeah please yeah. come to Japan like yes. we, we yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we hospitable people <laughs> but I think you know just just uh, th- that's honesty you know I, I, we always have an honest chat and so um yeah I just wanted to just on the topic of racism I think we have to look inward as well as well like being Japanese I think we have I have some responsibility to do something better there but in general like we have as I said in the beginning we have cherry blossoms <laughs> we have amazing food yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like when the travel is available we always welcome you guys and you know personally I like to host uh, if if any of your friends and I'm happy to host and <laughs> it's <so> um, nice. <laughs> it, it is it is fun place to to come and and explore yeah 
Well, um, thank you so much for having this chat with me and sharing a bit about yourself. I really, my pleasure. Yeah, I'm really grateful for your time. And like you said in the beginning, meeting each other was such a great thing for both of us. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, like we've had so Definitely. many like awesome chats, and yeah, yeah, it's been such a pleasure knowing you. And I hope that like we can visit Same. each other soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you. And thank you again for having me. This is this been talking to you always is fun and meaningful and so I'd love to continue that. And yeah, thank you again for uh for your time and having me. Thank you for listening to Not Your Token Minority. If you or someone you know are interested in sharing your story with me or just having a good old chat, then visit notyourtokenminority.com and fill in the form at the bottom. I really appreciate your support, so don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and follow on social media. Just search for Not Your Token Minority Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.